0: amen, good morning. you may be seated. I was just thinking there at the offering you know if if Christ tarries and uh which I don't think he's going to, but uh man, we are at the last of the last days it it could be any day that Christ returns uh no in the end times you have two different two different events you have Uh, Christ returning for the church and the rapture of the church, which is first. Then you have the triumphant return of Christ, which is when he actually comes back, sets his foot on the earth, and it begins the millennial reign. A lot of times people put those things together, and there's some things that have to happen before the second event, but there's nothing really that has to happen before the first event except that the church is made glorious. That's about the only thing... That has to happen because he said he's coming again for a glorious church. Basically, I'm saying that to say, like, it's time right now. Uh, I mean, we are in, when you, if the Bible is your standard and you're living by that, the Bible declares very clearly that we are not just in the last days, we are in the last of the last days. And uh, even some stuff that I saw this week, uh, I, I just was shaking my head at It's like, there's no way we can go too much further uh, just because of what's happening. Uh, specifically, I, I'll give this, give this to you. Specifically, uh, the Lord put a cap at Babel. There's only so much that man can do. But the rise of technology, and specifically right now some of the uh, artificial intelligence and things like that that's coming out, we are pushing that cap that God set. And so we can't go beyond that. In other words, we're at the top of that right now. And you can see the signs of the times in those things. And uh, what artificial intelligence and technology is doing right now, if you were in the world and didn't have Jesus, it would be scary uh, what they're doing. I mean, there's, it's great, but it's also very dangerous as well and, and can be scary. And, uh, but we're at that place. Like, you just can't go much further. So Jesus is coming back. But if he did, Terry, longer than I expected, um, then one of the things I think that you'd find in boomerang churches is every time they start doing the offering prayer, uh, you're going to find boomerang churches and everybody's standing up on their feet and uh, very pomp and circumstance and tradition. And somebody a hundred years from now is going to be saying, why do we stand up when they do the offering prayer? Because, like, how does everybody know how to do that? And uh, you notice as soon as you started praying, you had people stand up. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit of history on how we got to that place. Uh, basically, just one day I was sitting there, and, uh, you know, the offering is, is to be an offering to God, holy and acceptable to God. And I realized I was, it may have been a few dollars that I was giving or or a few hundred. I don't remember what it was that day, but I remember having that offering in my hand. And what made it holy was he authored it. He spoke that to my spirit and he wrote that in there. And I, in obedience, heard him and we were giving, we were giving. And I was like, this is holy. And I didn't want to approach uh, the offering and the altar with that holy offering in a different way, and he, I just heard him say, "Stand up," and, and then I realized this is just my way of honor. You know, uh, our culture we have basically five different H's: uh, hunger, humility, honor, holiness, and home. Right, and that's new to y'all because we just we just put it down on paper. But uh, one of them's honor, and as we set up. With that holy, which is another one, and honorable offering, I just felt the need to stand and offer it, you know, like a priest standing there in front of the Lord. And uh, so when, when they said the prayer, I stood up, and then the next Sunday it came, and I stood up again. And then I think somebody noticed. And then they then they said, "What's he standing for?" That must be what I'm supposed to do. So they stood up, and uh, must be, and that's how traditions get started, <laughs> just like that. And uh, what makes it holy is not the standing. What makes it holy is the condition of our heart, right? And how we handle the things of God. That's what makes it special. And uh, so, if you want to know why we did that, now you know. And uh, I was sitting there, and I heard all the seats, everybody stand up out of their seat, and I'm thinking. All the guests have no idea what's going on right now because <laughs> they don't know the story. But uh, it, it, it feels nice, I guess. But we don't move by feelings. We move by the leading of the Lord and the honor of him. So how many people are ready to receive this morning? <laughs> Glory to God. Now, I'm telling you, if you did not watch the service last week, you need to watch that service. Because we talked about how to fulfill your vision and I, I walked away from that going, Lord, you helped me get that message out. There was an anointing on that. If you've not seen last week's message about fulfilling your vision, you need to go see that. And of course, it plays right into today where we're talking about how, how you can complete your assignment, the, your vision that God's given you for your life. We're going to talk about how to complete your assignment. And I'll tell you this. You know, every weekday we have a broadcast called Lunch Plus at noon, and uh, from about noon to 1 or 1.30, somewhere in there, whenever the Holy Spirit leads us to end it, um, from about noon to that period of time, we have a fresh daily word every, every day and uh, every weekday, and I'm telling you, this week was vision week, and we talked about vision all week, and it was meaty. If you're not watching that on a regular basis, I'm, just hear me. You're missing out. Because, why? Because the Lord will give vision to a, to a local body of believers that are specifically designed for that local body of believers. I mean, he'll give it exactly to that body, exactly what they need. Have you noticed that there's certain foods uh, that, that fit other people better? I don't know if you've ever done any research, uh, but there's actually foods that fit blood types better. So you can have A, you can have B, you can have O, O positive, you can have all that different. There's certain foods that fit those blood types better. Why? It's just chemistry. They have this blood type, there's certain foods that work better with that chemistry and it will be more nutritious to them and will feed them better. Really interesting interesting stuff works i mean we we 've done that it makes a difference in other words, what I want you to see is God has designed physically certain food to work better for certain people that 's the kind of food that they need this is the kind of food they don 't need. Well, he does the same thing spiritually in a body of Christ He will plant you exactly where you need to be planted we know uh, we know that If you, like, take a maple tree from Vermont, right, and you move it down to Florida, it's not going to flourish the same. Soil's different, climate's different, uh, temperature's different. You take a palm tree from the Florida Keys and you move it up to Vermont, it ain't going to work, right? You can have all the dreams you want to, you can spend thousands of dollars to get it up there, it's going to die, why? Wrong environment, wrong soil, wrong nutrition. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says this, but now, let me put that, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but now, when? Now, now God has placed the members. Now, who did it? God. God placed the members. Notice who didn't place the members? Us. Now, God has placed the members in the body, each one of them in the body, just as He desires. So not we we desire, right? So I want you to see this. So God's directing traffic uh, up in heaven. He's directing the blessing, and and He's saying, All right, let me see here. Uh, Chris, I've got a place for you right here, right? Right? And he's, he's saying God has placed the members in the body just as he desires. So he says, Chris, your place is right here. Now, if Chris's place is right here, he doesn't get to choose, well, I like this place. Well, my kids enjoy this place. They like this children's church. Or they, Well, I like this pastor over here. Or I like this minister over here. Or I like the color of the skin of the people over here. That doesn't matter. See, our choice is not the place. Our choice is to hear from God and be obedient. God chooses the place. God chooses the place. And, well, I like this place that's closer to my house. Well, I like that too. But that's not my choice. My choice is that I'm either, I hear from the Lord, will I seek Him on what my place is, and will I get in my place? My choice is to be obedient or not, not the place, right? So you, we've had people for years that have driven over an hour to get here every Sunday. Why? A church alive is worth the drive, and when God plants you at a place, that's your soil. Psalms 92 says, planted in the house of the Lord... They flourish in the courts of heaven. They flourish there. You flourish when you're nourished. You flourish when you're nourished, and you nourish when you're in your place. He's designed certain food. I'm kind of already in my message, but uh, I was really just talking about Lunch Plus because what he says is, so now let me just finish this out, come back to Lunch Plus. Don't let me forget Lunch Plus, okay? And. And in case he forgets, you don't let me forget lunch plus, okay? All right, so God says this. Chris, this is your place. He doesn't choose the place. He just chooses to be obedient or not. "This This is your place. Amen. He says, Will, your place also is right here. And we choose to be obedient. He says, Phil and Will sitting beside each other. Your place is over here, and so he says this is my place. Now, what if will What if Will and Phil are best friends, apparently, and Will says, "I like, I like where Phil's going to church. I like the preaching better. They have a better Sunday school, and they don't preach as long. I want to go to Phil's place." Well, he would be being disobedient. But let's just walk that out. All right, be disobedient, Phil. or will. Yeah, well, there you go. Get close now. You like them so much. Amen. Glory to God. (laughs) Now, what's the problem? The problem is over here, there's a gap. Over here, there's a gap. Here's the first thing. There's a gap. There's a hole. Somebody needs to be in their place. Over here, where there was a hole for somebody else, now this gap's been filled. And where somebody has their gifts and talents designed exactly for this place to come out, they can't fulfill that now. And over here where this one needs the help and God had designed it, it's lacking. Over here's too much. Over here's That's why we need to listen to God because God's the only one who knows all those details. All those details. You know? And so then all of a sudden here's the other thing. Over here is a nourishment designed especially for you. God chose the place not just for the people around you to be a blessing to. He chose it for you. And in that place, that's where your nourishment is. But over here, it might not be the same nourishment. As a matter of fact, it'll never be the same nourishment. And when you plant yourself, we talked about last week it 's not this is not a well i 'm going to see how I like this for a little while, and then, after a while, you, you know both of you you know y'all talk uh you know, and talk about what you like and you don 't like it, if you're if you 're being placed by God, who cares what you like or you don 't like who cares like god 's the one who chose it, either he said it or they don 't see a lot of times, and this is the issue. We talked about this this week on the broadcast. Is church hurt? Because when you have vision, we talked about this, when you have vision, it absolutely requires a risk. And see, when and, and it says this, when you're planted, in John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not produce more fruit. So the risk in joining the church is I have to die to my own vision and give myself to a corporate vision. And so when, now watch this, because people don't know their place and they don't know these mechanics in the kingdom of God, they will take a risk and they will go join the church that looks like they like it. Their flesh likes it, right? A lot of times, because we're so flesh-led, we won't go to a church that makes us sit there for longer. And the question is this. If a church makes you sit there for longer, are they really making you? You can get up, like that lady she described earlier. Or are you wanting to be there for God? Now, we went and watched Avatar the other night, like three hours and something. Not, I didn't see, but like the theater was full. I didn't see, but like two people go up, to, go up and get up and go to the bathroom. Now, you know, when they come in, they got this drink that's like this size, like a gallon jug. They look like they're trying to get their water in, but it's Pepsi or whatever, it's Coke. And they walk in, so everybody's drinking these massive drinks, and only a couple of them got up. Now, that's not always the case, but three-hour movie. And they're like, I'm sitting still, I'm not, I don't want to miss a thing. We were coming up to the finish of the movie. I had to use the bathroom myself. Guess what? I made a choice. I wanted to be there. I said, I, I'm uncomfortable. I need to go to the bathroom, but I want to be here. Why? Because I don't want to miss anything. Now, see, how about we're that way with God? See, we got to get serious. God, are you here to get ministered to, which is fine. God will minister to you. But ultimately, as you grow up in church, we should be ministering to the Lord. He'll minister to us too, but it should be two-way street, right? There should be ministry going back and forth. I'm I'm here to grow. I'm here to to go after the Lord and minister to the Lord. I'm not here to watch a show. You're not here to watch a show. At the same time, a preacher and the church needs to be carrying something. I said it last week. People don't like this. When you don't have any power in the front, people are okay to sit in the back. But when you have a power and anointing, people want to get closer to that anointing. And so that, that somebody took it as, uh, you know, that was, a, that was on them. They just like to sit in the back, and so they were taking a stack. That wasn't even talking about the people. That was talking about the minister. The minister has a responsibility to carry something. And a church should have a responsibility to carry something. And if they're, and what you'll find is if they're carrying something, you'll see more people are longing to grab a hold of what they're carrying. But see, when you have vision that you're going after, it demands a risk to be taken. And that risk, according to the Bible, is you plant yourself, which means I let go of my own thinking and I become a part of the corporate vision in which I'll find that personal vision. It's the way of God. We talked about it all week. It is clear in the Word of God. I'll briefly tell you about it today. But you're not going to find your own personal vision without planning yourself in a local body, in a local church. And that planning, you're not going to find the right one if you're not planted at the right place. You hear from God, then you're obedient. So one of the things that you see is this. If you give yourself to the soil but you haven't consulted God and you haven't consulted God, here's the thing. Your nutrition might not be over here. Your vision's not over here. All those things are not where they need to be. And what happens is this. They put a risk out there and risk themselves and now their church hurt because they risked in the wrong place. And that's how church hurt happens. And this is why why so many people have church hurt today because instead of a church and a pastor standing up saying, you know, some people love us, some people hate us, some people don't know what to think about us, like what we say, and this may not be your place, and we're fine with that. They're saying, come on in. You'll love it. You welcome home. This is your place. They don't know that. They don't know that. You've heard from God on every person, and anyway, a, a pastor will have an idea. I know many of you, when you first walked in the door, I felt the connection of the Lord, and I would kind of have a knowing. I kind of know who's supposed to be here and who's not. I've had that for years. But ultimately, it's not up to me to put you in that place, it's up to you to choose that place. And that's a totally different thing. And that means you choose. The risk, I know this per- this church is of God. I know this pastor is called of God to pastor this church at this time. And I know that this is the place. Now, you've heard from the Lord. You're obedient to it. You get the nutrition of that place that you were designed for. You fulfill the needs by helping and fill in the gap where God had a place just for you. You receive what you need. You risk yourself because you plant yourself, killing your own personal vision, adopting that corporate vision, but all of a sudden, that's the place where you work. That's the place where it fits. So when we make these marketing, when churches come up and they have all these marketing things to get people in the church and in the body, they're, they're doing a grave disservice to the body of Christ and to themselves. Because think about it, this pastor over here that may want everybody to be there regardless of if they're called to or not, he's got a bunch of people out of their place. That means they're going to have a whole lot more problems. They're going to have a ton more problems. They've taken a risk, they're going to have church hurt, and when they get church hurt, what's going to happen? They're going to go over here and talk about that church. And you can see how this doesn't lead to unity, this leads to disunity. It doesn't lead to fulfilling vision, it leads to division, right? Because you have two different visions going on and it's not God's. But when everybody gets in their place, they fulfill the things of God. So, and you can have people and you can say, oh man, but this church over here, they have the best church for my grandkids. And... I, and I don't like the church for my grandkids where, where God's placed me, so I'm going to go over there. You're making a really bad mistake. You won't flourish. You're taking a risk that's going to end up in church hurt. Now, this is on the church, we should have a place that feeds everybody. But we don't, we don't have to market ourselves. Like, we're the best church. We're the best church. No, we're not the best church. We're a part of the best church. The best church is the body of Christ. We're a part of that. We're not the one. We're a part of the one. You see? This is, you got to have this. This is all culture and a different way of thinking about it. And this society has been selling their churches for so long. They, they've, they've been spinning their wheels. Looks good. Feels good to our flesh. But it's not doing anything in the spirit. Amen. Thank you, guys. So, all of that to say... Lunch plus is every weekday. And the Lord told us that he's going to give us a word every single weekday. And it happens. The thing that we hear more than ever is that we hear this testimony all the time. That is exactly what I needed to hear today. That is exactly what I needed to hear today. I needed that word today. We hear it all the time. All the time. Why? Because that if you're called to a place that God is told to do that, you're going to find a nourishment in there. You're going to find nutrition in that. And it happens. It's been powerful this week, hasn't it? Yes, Amen. I feel dehydrated. Sometimes fasting, we had a question this week come in about fasting. And uh, just hand me the ball. Thank you. Um, we had a question come in about uh, fasting. Let me just give this to you: If you're doing an extended fast, ex- expect that your body will reset, right? Expect that your body will reset. Uh, your, your, if you do a long enough fast, your taste will reset, your blood sugar will reset, all kinds of things will reset. If you about doctors have proven it, about three weeks uh, fast of non-food, and uh, you're not taking in a ton of like sugary drinks too uh, it'll it'll reset some things but one thing that happens is as you're going through that your body changes and you feel it and you feel those things and uh, but at the same time and it's a beautiful thing it, it really helps you to stay in that good place of health as well besides spiritual health but one of the things that happens if you're just doing the juice fast um, if, if you don't want to do that and you're having major work and you need to have all the clarity and everything like that, do a one meal a day or a six-to-six six fast and take that food in. But I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. It still is challenging. It's a really good fast, and the majority of b- biblical fasts are basically where they eat one meal after the sun goes down. So um, in a uh, liquid fast where you're not taking in any food, a couple of things happen. Number one, when you're not taking in food, uh, you're not taking in as much salt. And so uh, when, you, when you don't take in that salt, salt makes your body like a sponge where it'll hold water. And then uh, if you don't have salt or electrolytes in that way, it's almost like a funnel. It just runs straight through you. And so you can have, that's why when you, when you do this, like you, you feel like you're going to the bathroom all the time. And, um, but... In that process, you don't have food that's giving you salt, so you're not retaining that water. I know all the people that are thinking about their weight, they're like, I don't want to retain water. You do on a fast. You do on a fast. You want to retain water on a fast. And uh, so then, uh, so what you need is you need to take in some electrolytes, maybe even a pinch of salt uh, with your water every uh, day or so. And uh, that's a good thing to do because here's the other thing is you're, you can also, like, if you like it, um, my wife does, it, it started before she was pregnant, is drink pickle juice. Um, pickle juice has a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. I can see some people like, yes, and some people like, no. <laughs> so anyway, but it has a lot of electrolytes in it in that way. And uh, so, or some, uh, you know, like Powerade or Gatorade, but you don't need a lot of that. Uh, you don't need a lot of Gatorade or Powerade. You can overdo it and get, actually, um, you only need about a cup a, a cup a day should be fine and that'll help you help you do that. But the other thing that happens is when you're eating food, food will hold water and hold moisture, and then as it's going through your body, it it releases that moisture like a time delay of liquids and moisture. So when you don't have food, you don't have that moisture being held and constantly releasing into you. So you really need to drink more water than you normally do if you're on, if you're on a fast like that. And that, what that does is it helps keep uh, your blood pressure up. A lot of times when people feel uh, lightheaded on a fast, it's their blood pressure because they're dehydrated and uh, not as much the sugar, although the sugar can be that too. If you're doing that and, and you feel like it's right, Definitely, you know, have a cup of juice with some natural sugars in it. It'll help clear, you, clear your brain up, keep that fuzziness away as well. So just some fasting tips. If you, if you want to know a lot more, uh, you can go and the Fasting 101 series is out there. Those are just some basic facts. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying we've found some things, and there's some basic medical facts that I just passed along to you when you're doing a fast. Does that help anybody? Amen. Glory to God. Uh, so that was a great question that we had, and um, I love I love fasting. Remember the Lord said this. Isn't it amazing that you can, especially if you get into a no-food fast, you can get past that first week, and then all of a sudden it's like the second week, it's like, this feels great. I mean, you still want to eat, and you're still hungry, but it's not like before, and it's like, this is an amazing place, and you'll get to the place where you don't actually want to stop uh, it, you know, you, when it's time to stop, your body will let you know. It'll kind of wake up and say, if you don't eat, you're going to die. But uh, it'll, it, your body's built, it's, it's wondrously made. And uh, you remember when Jesus fasted 40 days and uh, he said, and he was hungry. I think that was an understatement. That was his body waking up and saying, all right, Jesus, you've gone long enough, time to eat. And uh, But didn't, don't you notice that's right when the devil came right when he was right at the breakthrough and at the end the devil comes and tempts him with the bread amen and so this is this is where we want to live we want to live in the place where the lord is leading us and notice that jesus said this he didn't say he didn't say if you fast he said when you fast right when you fast so fasting needs to be a part of people's uh of people's Christian walk on a regular basis and not just at the beginning of the year. Seek the Lord on that. Ask Him. He knows what you can do and what you can't do. He knows what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. And uh, He'll teach you and He'll show you those things. So, Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Well, now you've had two messages today. Let's give you the third one. Hallelujah. Fulfilling your assignment. Last week, like I said, in looking at the vision, how many people want to stand in front of Jesus? You know, let me get that camera. Amen. Stand in front of Jesus is good, but I didn't didn't finish it. How many people want to stand in front of Jesus and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Man, I want to complete my assignment. Amen. Glory to God, I like that. (laughs) She was back there. She goes, me! (laughs) I want to do that. I want to hear that. I love that. You know, how many people want to hear those words? I do. If you, want to, if you want to hear those words, then you have to complete the individual assignment that's on your life. Now, the interesting thing is in Luke chapter 16, it says this, How will I give you that which is your own if you have not handled well that which is another man's? Now, you see a principle here of the kingdom of God. Many times people are looking for their own vision, their own vision, their own vision. We talked about that this week. A lot of what happens is we don't realize it. We don't realize just how much of a corrupted world we've lived in, right? We don't realize that. In Impact, we have Impact University every Tuesday night. You can, go, you can get your associate's, your bachelor's, your master's degree right here in Albemarle uh, in theology and on we're in a series called reset so how many impact students just give me at, at this question give me an amen if you've realized in the last couple of weeks more than ever that the world that we've known is a lot more off of God's plan than we ever realized if you if you realize that shout amen, amen. these these and so in impact we've been specifically talking about just how far off from God's normal it's come. And what we don't realize is from the time that we're little the devil's constantly feeding us corrupted thinking and corrupted thoughts and, and the issue is it's, but it's been normal to us and it's been so normal to the world but is it normal with God? So in order to fulfill your assignment You have to find those things that are not normal with God and fix them. But in order to have your eyes open to that, you have to really walk in humility. Because if you just think that everything that you think is right, you're not going to find those areas. That pride is going to block your vision. It's going to take you into deception. You're not going to be able to fulfill those things. You have to step back and say, I don't know what I don't know. And and I don't know what those things are, but I know they're probably there. And so anybody in America in this day and age can probably say that that's true. I, I know I'm doing, most people are not evil. They're not trying to do the wrong thing. They're trying to do the right thing, and either they don't know how or they don't know what the right thing is. You watch people. You know, even people that have done mass atrocities to humanity, many people that have done many things wrong. They thought they were doing it for God. They thought they were right doing it for God. Remember the disciples. Somebody said something wrong with Jesus, and uh, and they their mind immediately went back to uh, Elijah, and he and he said there, and and right there with Elijah. He's they're thinking he called down fire from heaven. And then Elisha, you know, there were some kids, actually not kids, they were young adults, taunting Elisha, and some bears came out from the woods and ate them. You know, that ought to at least teach us, don't mess with the man of God. I mean, I'm just saying. I know it benefits me, but still, like, don't do it. It's not it's for real. Don't don't play around with God's church, because he loves his church, and don't play around with the people he's actually called like it's not a joke to God he's a covenant God and covenant means that he'll stay in that fellowship and relationship even if they're messing up he's there and here's the other thing is he loves them he loves them and you know you think about it most we're you know we're in the south most most men in the south like like I'm not going to harm you or anything but you come into my house try to hurt my family you'll see a different side of a very loving man, right? God, God's got that side. He's a covenant God. Don't mess with my people, right? Don't mess with my people. And that's the way God thinks. And so you start messing with His church, who is the bride of Christ, like, oh, my goodness. Like, you're going to mess with his bride and talk bad about his bride? That's a, that's a mistake. You don't, you don't talk about his bride? Like, that's wrong. And you don't don't talk don't talk about the people that he's chosen. There's people. That's a good way. And listen, I'm not joking. I feel led to say this. We've watched people. We have watched people who have mishandled their words over this body not be on the earth anymore. Over the years. We turned 14 this week. Started in our living room. Well, what kind of church is that? starts in your living room. Apparently a good one. At least one that can stay alive for 14 years. Amen. And serve people and love people. But here's the thing. God takes it serious. The strongest thing that God's ever corrected on me is me judging other ministers. He's not played around on that. Other stuff is like I feel like his mercy is everlasting. He's given me mercy in that area too. But his correction has been the strongest. The strongest. Don't, Don't play around with that. And so uh, if we're going to see this, and we're going to s- see this area, we can't think that we know it all, right? One of the things also an impact that we've been talking about is how much does God know? And you think about every ounce of information, like the Internet's great, you got these new chat, uh, AI chat bots and all that kind of stuff coming out, and they know answers to all kinds of stuff. But they don't be God who actually knows everything. The- these guys just think they know everything. There's the difference. God actually knows everything. You're not going to beat him in that. He knows everything. Every Think about this. Every bit of wisdom, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father with whom there's the Father of lights coming from above, from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning in James chapter 1 verse 17. And so one of the things that you see is he actually knows everything. And that means every bit of knowledge and wisdom that's on the earth came from God. Now think about that. If we find a scientist that actually knows a ton about several things, if we find a scientist that actually knows a ton about a lot, we're like, man, that guy's so smart. But that guy knows just a thimbleful to what God knows. And so for us to think that we've arrived is wrong. And if we think that we've arrived, we immediately limit our future. When we think that we've arrived at a point that we know everything or we know how it works and we don't have to grow anymore, we instantaneously limit our future. How many people want to limit their future? Good. Amen. I saw one hand go up, but they were scratching their nose. So I was like, whoo, it's good. Amen. How many people <laughs> How many people want to stand in front of God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? But in order to get that done, you have to, you have to humble yourself to the plan of God and not think that you've got it all worked out. You have, to, you have to be in that place of humility, which is the key to avoiding deception. And when you start to realize it, and you start to realize just how much God has done and how big He is, you realize, i never... Never going to exhaust him. Never. So today, one of the biggest problems that's been facing the church is what I've come to term spiritual teenagers. Because a teenager will go to school, they learn more about the world than they've ever learned before, and they feel like they've arrived. Now any 30-year-old knows that 18-year-old knows nothing. A 30-year-old knows that. Now, but the 18-year-old feels like they know the most they've ever known. And that's true. They do know more than they've ever known. They have the biggest worldview. But if you start making major life decisions without good counsel and input, how many people have watched the teenagers blow up their life in the first couple of years? How many how many of us have seen that? And most of the time it's because that teenager when in pride, thinking that they know something. So the church has a ton of spiritual teenagers. Even if they went to a, a Pentecostal church, a place where the Spirit of God is, and the, and the power of God is, and the fire of God is... And they go in, they see a couple of miracles, they pray for a couple of people over some time. see them healed, delivered, they lead some people to the Lord, they go into a service, they get the Holy Ghost goosebumps, maybe they even get a little Pentecostal dance on, who knows, whatever, they feel like they've arrived. My Lord, that's just the first step. That's the beginning. I mean, look at what he says. He says in Mark 16, those that believe, Not the pastor, not apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those that believe will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll cast out devils. If they they drink anything deadly, it won't hurt them. He says, those that believe, who said saints? The saints. The saints, the believers. So we're just, this is, and I want you to see this. How often is this supposed to happen? How often is the power of God supposed to flow through believers? All day, every day. All day, every day. Not, But see, we become satisfied in this corrupted world with just having a touch of it here and there. That's not God's plan. God's plan is not just for a pastor or a five-fold ministry gift is, is not just for them to be carrying this, but how many pastors do you know are carrying it all the time? You, you see the problem here? How's the believer going to carry it all the time when their leadership's not carrying it all the time? How's it going to happen? I mean, you can ask somebody that is you know an overachiever that was not a ministry gift, that comes out, and they were hungrier than even the ministry gifts around them, and, they, and the Lord will bless them and anoint them. Good, a good example of that today is Todd White. He's, just a, he's a drug addict that gets delivered, finds Jesus, gets delivered, is so hungry for God, he just goes after them. Yeah. He just goes after God. And what happens? Just his hunger, which is why it's part of our culture, and his humility, which is also why it's part of our culture... His hunger and humility grabs a hold of the coattails of God and he pulls himself up there in hunger. He's just, he's just hungry. So it can be done by one person, but that's not the way God designed it to be alone. He wants the whole body walking in this. In other words, we should have this church so full of the power of God that if, listen, Everybody, who won't who, when people come in for prayer, who do they want to pray over? The pastor, the head guy. Why is that? Because the church hasn't grown to the fullness of the stature of Christ that every member is carrying it. And most pastors say, Yes, I'm the man. You must come through me. That's religion. No, the pastor's job is to receive the things of God and give them, and give them to the believer. And let them carry it. Let them, you know, remember uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. It says he gave gifts to men, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, verse 8 and verse 11. And then it goes on to say, to train and equip them for the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. We were talking one time, and uh, we were talking one time, and they're like, "Hey, talking to me. If you take over this church, and you can come in, and uh, you're going to mow the yard uh, every week, and you'll have to do this, and you'll have to do this." I'm like, "Have you read the Bible? Like, I'm not above. I'm not above mowing the yard, I'm not above cleaning toilets. Done it, did it, still do it. Clean one just the other day. the The point is that we have this idea." That we come in, we live our lives all throughout the week, and the minister does all the work. That's the American church culture, but it's not biblical culture. Biblical culture is that the believers do the work of ministry, and the minister trains and equips and empowers them to do it as, as he works with them. His work is to work with them in that way, to train them up. We have a wrong, see, we've got to change culture. At what point in your Bible, at what point in your Bible, this message is going a little bit different, I can tell. At what point in your Bible did God say, come down to earth, adopt the earth's culture, make friends, and then change that culture back to heaven? Did it ever say, leave the culture of heaven? No, he said said this in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer. Pray this way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I should be applying faith that the culture of heaven is established. So for me to take a church and make it the culture of the world, that's never in the Bible. Never in the Bible. You're going backwards. Why would I take a lesser culture and replace the better culture. That doesn't make logical sense either. But yet, this is the state. So we've got, and, and we, have to, we can't complain about that. How many people have, have seen these things in the church culture in America? Pretty much everybody. But is our job to sit up here and complain about them and talk bad about them? No. What's our job? You get your own culture. You get, the, you get the culture of heaven operating in you. Be an example. Be a model. Be, be a light for what that culture is supposed to look like. But when, when the culture is way over here and biblical culture is way over here, there's a, there's a distance to cover. It takes some time. It's got to get in the people. And that culture has to grab hold. We have to change our thinking. Remember, I started with this. Who wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But you can't hear, well done and good and faithful servant, doing it your own way. You have to do it God's way. And you can't do it God's way if you're not willing to say, Lord, show me what I need to change. If you're not willing to do that, you're just going to stay at the same same place. That old statement, you know, where it talks about it's complete lunacy to keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. And and so we've got to go back to the Word, which is our standard, a supernatural standard of God, and hear about that and jump into that culture. And we have to be willing to set what we think we know to the side. One thing I've found in being a pastor is most people are not evil. Most people are not evil. This really helped me out as a pastor because I'm like, why do people keep doing dumb stuff? It's a good question. Every pastor asks himself that. They just don't tell you like I will. Pastor, you know, Lord, why do the people in the church keep doing dumb stuff? And and the Lord, he led me to this place. He said, you know, which basically dumb stuff is anything that's not of God. Anything that's not of God is dumb stuff because he's the he's the smartest one on the block. And he loves you more than anybody else. And so he always wants the best. He delights in the prosperity of of his people. And he's got the ability to get it to you. Why would we not do what he wants? Like, doesn't that make sense? Why would we not do it his way? It doesn't make any sense to do anything. It's like, I want to do what he wants. He loves me. He's got the power to bless me. And he knows everything. And that sounds like somebody we should listen to. And that sounds like somebody that we should take our pride and say, hey, I put this pride on the altar. Burn it up. What do I need? What do I need? And you'll watch some of these young men when they go into, uh, they'll go into business, they do very, very well. They'll go to a very, they, don't go, they don't go to somebody who teaches theory. They go to somebody who's actually made money, right? I don't want people that teach theory. I want somebody who's actually had success. I want people, and, I, and the Bible even teaches this in Hebrews 6 12. It says, follow those or imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises of God, who's actually seeing the power of God and walking in it, not, not talking about it only. Right? And so they'll go, and if they're really smart, they'll just go up to that successful person. They may have even been successful. I've watched people, I've watched people and and, and testimonies where people are made. They made millions, and they'll go up to somebody who's made billions and said, I don't know anything. How, how many people would like to just know on um, what they did to make millions? Anybody would agree? I'd like to know that. They've already done that. They'll go up to somebody who's made billions and said, I don't know anything. Tell, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. And that person will now grow from their millions into their billions. Well, what if we just did that with God? How is it that than Christians do who's got the book and has the father in front of them and and can go and say, and can go into the Lord and say, hey Lord, I don't know anything. Show me what I need to know. (laughs) Show me what I need to know. And if you think about this, most of our doctrine that we believe in, where does it come from? Generally the first couple of years as being a Christian when you knew the least about God. You think our doctrines don't need to be relooked at and we don't need to to continue to let the Bible wash over us and cleanse us and take us to, to a better revelation of that? Why is it that we live the rest of our days, decades and decades, on the revelation that we got when we didn't know anything? Why is it that we do that and we don't challenge that again? Now, what am I giving you here this morning? I'm giving you a different way of thinking towards the Lord, a reality of these things where you can set yourself in a culture. You are not in a church this morning, for all who are guests, you are not in a church this morning who's going to just pat you on the back, make you feel good about yourself, and you're going to be done by 12. If it is, that'll be a miracle because we've got about six minutes and I ain't planning on doing it. It'll be the Lord. Now be fine with me if he does it if he doesn't do it, that's not in the plan. My point is, most people want a dose of it and then they want to go their merry way feeling good about themselves but really having done nothing. They did not change. They did not grow. They did not become more fruitful. You're not in that kind of church. You're in a church that's going to challenge your flesh. You're in a church that's going, why? Because the flesh and the spirit are always at war. The Holy Spirit is my God. The Father is my God. Jesus is my God. Not my flesh. Not your flesh either. So if you try to get your flesh to tell me what to do, you're going to find that out quick. No. Oh, pastor, I just think we ought to do this. No. I'm a good pastor. I know how to say no to fleshly ideas. No. But if it's a God idea, I know how to say yes to it quickly with joy willing and obedient willingly if you're willing and obedient you'll eat the good land so we need to get to the place where we live in this unbiased place so God can help us we have to change this culture we have to change the way we think about things most people are not evil most people are not evil In other words, what that means is, what I found out as a pastor is, most people, when they make a decision, they think they're making the right decision. Most people, if they're doing something wrong, they think that it's small enough to not be important. Now, that's bad in itself. That's a wrong thinking in itself. But most people don't mind. I, I mind this. But most people don't mind you know, checking the other box on their tax return so they get more money back. Most people don't mind doing personal stuff at work when they're being paid hourly. They, they don't mind little things like that, and those things, they think that's small enough to be okay. Right? But on the bigger things, they don't think that that's okay, but the wrong decisions that they make is not because they're evil, it's because the wrong things that they're choosing they think are, is the right choice. And generally, it's simply a product of their environment. They've been taught that this corrupted thinking that is not truth is truth. And of course, the devil's always out there to tell you all truth. Everything is truth, which is a lie. There's only one truth, and he died on that cross. And, and he was given to us to see how who he is and how he thinks in this supernatural book called the Holy Bible. And when you see that and have it as a standard, all of a sudden your life changes. But most people are not evil. Well, amen. Most people are not evil, which means they're making wrong choices thinking that they're right. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, the majority, not the world, the majority of the church is about 60% right and about 40% wrong. That is a large 40% for believers going to church to be off when they've got the Word of God and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit as a teacher. And if you think about it, Nicole said this last week, "If if you want to boil water... You only need one degree to take it from boiling to not boiling or to take it from hot water to the power that would drive trains across the country. One degree of temperature. How big is 40% wrong in our lives? Large. So now here's the thing. But if if we're getting 40% wrong, but we don't know that we're wrong, if we're getting 40% wrong, but we don't know that we're wrong, how are you ever gonna fix that? You're in a catch 22. You're between a rock and a hard place because I, I wanna do right, but I don't know what's right. And so, in order to fulfill your vision and, and to stand in front of Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, you gotta be willing to take everything you think you know, put it on the altar of God, and let the Word of God prove to you what it says he says it very clearly like this judge yourself lest you be judged in other words your choices if you don't judge yourself your choices, your choices will judge you yeah. and that's what most people are living through a judged life because they think they're right when they're wrong and, they, and now we think that's normal spiritual teenagers Spiritual teenagers. We're in the wrong place thinking the wrong things. Now, today, you know, even my speech, it, it's more logical, it's more philosophical. What am I wanting you to do? I'm wanting you not necessarily to process all of this. What I'm wanting to do is simply get you to this point Lord, maybe there's some more out there in you. Maybe there's more in you that I can have. And Lord, I want to go after you and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear it. Yeah. I want to I want to walk with you. I want to stand in front of you and, and hear, good job. I love you. Good job. You did good. You did good. Good job. The question is, do you want it enough to change what you think? Do you want it enough to change what you think? And she described that circumstance that happened a few years ago. We're barely barely in the service. Later that day, three miracles take place in that service, at the end of the service. I speak in tongues over the service as the Lord directed me. And literally, lady jumps up, grabs her stuff, runs out the door. I, I can see, gets, gets her child, runs to the door. And the reason is because she's probably been taught that that's evil and uh, she doesn't know about it. She's not educated about it, so she's fearful of it. You know, Some people have been taught that, that in that you can receive demons, stuff like that. God already answered that in Luke chapter 11. He said, he said what kind of father am I for you to ask for the holy spirit he said well, if you ask me for an egg would i give you a snake you know or give you a scorpion for this no i'm not going to you ask me for the holy spirit i'm not going to allow it to be counterfeit i'm not going to allow it to be counterfeit and and specifically talking about the holy ghost but there's a lot of bad education out there people that think they know about those things and the reason why they think these things is because it's much easier and much more comfortable, not to the spirit, but to the flesh man, to not have these things. The flesh wants to control. It wants to have our order. It wants to have our box. But what I've found is, is I can't remember one time that somebody came to church, heard a doctrine or belief that we, that we preached, and you get around us, you're going to find out there's a biblical reason for pretty much every single thing that we do. Why? Because that book is a supernatural book, and it is the supernatural standard of our life. There's always... And and why? We've thought through a bunch of different things, prayed through a bunch of different things. We've handled tons of questions over the years from people that were going here. But what I've found is I've, I've almost never seen somebody who came in as a guest disagreed with something, and then actually, not debate, but actually wanted to find the truth of the matter and did what Acts 17.11 talks about the Bereans did. They were, It says that they were more noble than them all because they went home, they got the word of God to see if these things were true. And so I've never seen somebody. No, what we live in is a society where everybody just wants to pat you on the back and make you feel good for the, mo- for the most part, or at least we're drawn to those areas instead of challenging ourselves, instead of challenging our thinking. What do you think? How did Jesus have the way prepared for him? Who did he send to prepare the way? John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist do for that society? He he told them, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And what does repent mean? It means to turn, but it means more than that. It means, in other words, like if if I've got Luke, uh, my son, doing something wrong, I tell him stop doing that, right? Well, he may turn around and stop doing that, but has his heart changed? Has his thinking changed? The only thing that's changed is he said, I don't want to get in trouble, so I'll do this because I don't want to get in trouble. But that doesn't mean he's had thinking change and heart change. John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord and made it straight by causing society to change the way that they think and change their heart. And so that when when the Messiah showed up, they were ready to have that. Well, what does that look like today? Today, what that looks like, you're going to start to see a rise. I'm, I, I've not ever seen this. I've, I'm the, I've heard a few ministers that I'm connected to speak along these lines, but I've never seen it talked about. Literally, right now, I'm starting to see ministers talk about this stuff in a different way. And here's what I, here's what I want you to see. There is a separation going on, and the Bible calls for it in the last days. There will be a shaking, and God does the shaking. God does the shaking. You can see it in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 12. He said, once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. It really started around 2019, specifically in in 2020. You saw a shaking of God. This is the last day's shaking that God has prophesied about. He says, now, that should uh, cause a lot of people to change their tune. But it hasn't yet but it's starting to. And here's what's going on. He says, I will shake, and basically I'm going to shake the whole world. Anything, he says it, I'm paraphrasing, anything that's in me and of me will not be shaken. So if you're doing it godly, it won't be shaken. But if you're doing things ungodly and it's in corruption, it will be shaken. And so, I mean, you're seeing power plays and struggles and nations fall to pieces in front of our eyes and our own government being challenged. In front. Why? Because God is shaking things up. Now, He's not shaking things up to hurt people. He's shaking things up to sift out, sift out the chaff and get to the family of God and the family of God be who they're called to be. Now you can either give yourself to that or you can be shaken away. There's a sifting that's happening right now. This is a part of it. And what you're starting to see is ministers actually recognize this and show how this feed myself and feed my flesh mentality has been so wrong. I even watched a a minister, it was this morning or last night, first time I've ever heard somebody say this that I can recall. He said, "We've been drawing all the unbelievers into the church instead of being a minister to them ourselves. The church is for believers." The church is for believers. Well, that's biblically 100% accurate. And we've turned church into a mixture of believers and and unbelievers, a mixture of citizens and non-citizens. And because of that, we started catering to the non-citizens instead of raising up the citizens to do the work of ministry to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And because of that, that changed how we talked on things. It changed the power of God. Well, we don't want people to be laughing and rolling on the floor in the joy of the Lord because that might scare away the new people because they're building a business, not a church. This has got to change. This is not how it's supposed to be. And that's why you get up there. I, I, Golly, some of the things I say, I can just hear the thoughts of some of the pastors that have grown up in this. In this. Some of the things the Lord will tell me to tell y'all. And they're like, how can they say that? Because, because I'm not raising up weak children of God. Yeah, yeah. I'm building a strong family of God, moved only by the Spirit of God, not moved by a clock, not moved by their flesh. We're a church that's the pillar of truth in the times of deep darkness, and it causes there, in order to get that accomplished, there has to be a strong body of Christ. Not harsh and judgmental, but strong. Strong. That means you can't be offended at everything. Everybody, like the world in its corruption, has taught everybody to be offended at everything. Well, I don't like that. That offends me. That's your choice. Offense is a choice. You don't have to be offended. I need somebody that that will submit to me for a second. That'll do something your flesh is not gonna like. Come here, Kevin. He raised his hand. (laughs) Now, look at this. Now, I want you, with your loudest voice, to look me in the eyes, point at me, and I want you to say, Pastor, you're an idiot. You volunteered. Good. Well done. Pastor, you're an idiot. (laughs) I'm not offended. I still got a smile on my face. Now, I know he didn't mean it, but even if he didn't mean it, you know how many people have actually told me that over the years? A lot. Thank you, sir. I don't have to be offended. Why? And watch this. Because offense, is that from the Lord? Being offended is not from the Lord. There can be a righteous indignation. Let me just explain this. A righteous indignation is when you are irritated at the unholy things. So when Jesus comes into the temple, he never sinned. He never sinned, but he comes into the temple, and there's thieves in the temple. Jesus gets angry. And it doesn't say, never be angry, but it does say, be slow to anger. Like There can be a righteous anger, righteous indignation, and that came on Jesus. And his job, he was under an anointing. One man, think about this. All those men who were so greedy that they started thieving in the temple. They're so greedy. And one man stepped down all of their greed of all those men. And he drove them out of the temple. He was anointed. He was a, so an anointing comes on. Now, a lot of people today would look at that, would look at Jesus and condemn him. He shouldn't have done that. What do you think about you know, I'd start getting messages, Pastor, what do you think about this? He shouldn't have done that. Can you believe a preacher would do this? He needs to forgive them. He need, no, he didn't. He needed to drive them out of the temple. They're thieves. They're wolves. They're thieves. See, we've got, we, we've got into this era, and I, I saw it coming 20 years ago when they started talking about political correctness. I knew it was one of the most evil things that's ever been given to our society. Where everything, political correctness, well, I gotta watch your feelings, I gotta watch your feelings, I gotta watch your feelings. All you're doing is teaching people to live by their feelings. And now everybody, if you offend my feelings, we're gonna cancel you. I'm not, listen, and I'm not trying to get political necessarily, but I'm not afraid of it either. Why? Because God doesn't just touch one area of my life, He touches all the areas of my life. God's in my fun, God's in my sleep, God's in my politics, God's in everything. The devil doesn't want you to let God touch all of your life. He doesn't want want God in government, he doesn't want God anywhere. And so this political correctness came in where everybody started living by their feelings and now what do you have more than anything? You go to high schools today after 20 years of PC, 20 years of political correctness and everybody's living by their feelings which we talked about on the broadcast. I'm telling you, if you don't watch the broadcast, you're missing out. Because it says in the last days they will preach peace and safety, and it says also in the last days they'll draw to people who will tickle their ears. What that means is they're living 100% by emotion, but not the Spirit of God. And in this shaking that's happening, the ones that will stand out, arise and shine in this year of glory... The people that will stand out will be the ones who know who they are, know what they're called to, have the strength of God inside of them, the joy of the Lord, of peace, and, and yet in the midst of that strength a gentleness and love. It is supernatural. But you don't get there by being like, yeah, I didn't like how we talked about politics the other day, so I'm just not going back there. You don't get to that place. Well, I didn't like how, I just wish he'd just stick to the Bible. Have you heard how many scriptures I've quoted you? (laughs) Write them down. Go check them out. I'm giving you scriptural principle after scriptural principle. It's time for a change to prepare. He says when he comes back, he's coming back for a glorious church. He said to me in September of, of last year, 2023 will be a year of the glory. A year of the glory," he said to Moses. Moses said, "Show me your glory in Exodus 33. He said, "Here's my glory. I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you. But then he, he said, "You understand that a year of glory is all the goodness of God. But you'll look in Ephesians 2 around verse 19 through 20, it'll say that that glory will keep you holy. It'll keep you holy. So the glory is not just to get stuff to you. It is that, but that's not the only thing. The glory also makes us holy, which means I've got to take the fleshly thing and put it down and kill it and crucify it. So if you want to step into all the goodness of God, you're going to have to take some stuff, put yourself on the altar, and some of that stuff that's not of God is going to get burned up. And the preacher, they'll get up here and be like, just make you feel good and give you all that kind of stuff, but not tell you you got a responsibility in this relationship with God, and you need to deal with yourself and look at yourself. He's doing a disservice. This is not that time. We are in the last of the last days. It's time to get real. God's looking for some people that can carry something. God's looking for some believers that are carrying an anointing like Peter was when he walked down the streets of Jerusalem and just the spear of the glory of God just started healing people. So you walk down the grocery store aisle and you hear the thump, and you walk a little further, you hear the thump, and you walk a little further, you turn the corner and there's like a line of people laid out in the next aisle because you were carrying the glory. The pastor, no, you, the saint, the believer... We're in that time. Amen. We're in that time. But we don't walk in that stuff playing around and acting like you know political correctness is right. No, 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 no. And listen, here's the other thing. This is another culture thing. You don't heal the world or an area by making laws for everybody. You don't make programs for everybody. You heal in there. How does God tell you to heal other people? He says this. You get the log out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to remove the speck out of their eye. In other words, what he said, he told Timothy this. He said, Timothy, you should study to show yourself approved. You don't change an area by making sweeping programs. You make an area and you get it right and you get it into godliness by individual heart change. Which is the same thing that John the Baptist did. Each one of you needs to be baptized. He didn't, he didn't say we're going we're to create a program so Jesus can come in. He went to each person. He said I'm calling you up. Will you heed the call of God? He stands at the door and knocks. Are you going to let him in and be who he wants to be? Which basically means when Jesus comes in, he's going to change All, all how you think about things. Or at least it should. It's going to challenge you. You're not going to be comfortable. You're going to be at the place. And that's why we don't need churches that are tickling the ears. We need churches that are talking the reality of truth. And God is that truth. We need that. And so what that means is, do you just go to the place where you're comfortable? Where my kids like it? No. No. You go to the place where he's called you. And if you don't know where he's called you, we have a a broadcast. Am I at the wrong church? In other words, what is the right church? Can you, I want you to get that. Have them do, we might already have it, have them do a QR code to put that up on the screen for that that preaching. Can you get that done? Yeah, right now. And it's, if you don't know, and here's the thing, even if you're in the right church, you still need to hear this. Because here's why. Because people are going to say, well, why are you going to that church? I heard they're weird. I heard their pastor's angry. I heard people fall out. I heard, I heard that people at that church, they fall on the floor and laugh hysterically. That doesn't seem like God to me. You're going to need to know why. Because, we're, listen, it's going to take a strong person to change the culture. And listen, we're not just, try, we're not just called to change culture in this room. We're, ch- we're called to change culture in this whole region. And you don't change culture in a region without the culture being right in here. And you don't change culture in a region without knowing Scripture and knowing what you believe and knowing what the Bible says. You don't change it. Because somebody's going to go, well, why why do they they fall out like that? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. You're not going to change culture if you don't know the answer to that. Why it happens. You're not going to change culture if you've not studied to actually grow a little bit in your social ability to communicate that without offending them in a society that's so offendable. So we've got to grow up. Yeah. We've got to be who God's called us to be. Amen. God, what, what's, what's God giving you this morning? Because this is not my notes and not my message that I had planned. I had a really good message on Boomerang's vision. And I've been looking forward to giving it to you all week long. And I got like, there's like graphics made for it and everything. So much more put together than this message, but this message put together by the anointing and the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to talk about this. Why is he talking like this? Because it's time for us to repent, stop thinking the way we have been thinking about church, see what church really is and get to work on it and get in it and be who God's called us to be. Because you start showing, all right, now, all of a sudden, we change culture in here, and we change our thinking in here, and God starts visiting this place. I mean, He visits us, but we ain't seen visit yet. But it's coming. It's coming in here. This is a year of glory. That's why He gives you message like because glory is not just about the stuff; it's about cleaning up so you can hold the stuff. It's about getting to the place where you where you can handle it. In Ephesians one verse ten, it's about an administration suitable to the fullness of God. God wants to come in His fullness. He wants to come in all of His glory. But we've not had a church structure and a culture that can handle that because we've been so offendable and so politically correct. We've grieved the Holy Spirit right out of here and God's like, I can't hang out in that because I'll just burn you all up. He said, no, you come up to the place where I can come in and it doesn't burn you out. You raise yourself up to the place. That's the glorious church. He's given you a vision for the way it's supposed to be so we can go there. What I'm laying out right now is just like Abraham where God said, standing up on this mountain... A lot had just taken off to what looked like Greenland I'm laying out right now For you he said he said to Abram He said look to the north the south the east And the west everything that you can see Is yours I'm telling you right now About a place of the glory A place of the anointing that Every believer has the ability To do every believer and I'm Telling you there's a place where you're Walking down the grocery store And the anointing is so filled and Overflowing out of your life people Just start getting healed and Delivered and fallen out in public when you walk by. I'm talking about a place where all of a sudden the devil comes, he's still gonna try and attack you, still live in an evil world. But, like John 17 says, but you are kept. From the evil one. He can try all he wants to. Right when he gets his big old expensive weapon formed against you. God's going to knock the stool chair legs right out from under it. It's going to fall to the ground and crash. Another wasted project by the devil. I'm talking about a people that walk in divine health and healing, that are carrying the anointing and the glory of God, and they're overflowing in it and dispersing it everywhere they go. I'm giving you the vision. Will you look? I'm giving you the vision of it. Will you see it? But it doesn't happen just by acting like we've been acting. We have to repent, change our thinking, look up, and see what God's got planned. Is it right? Right? Is that right? Go to Isaiah 60 and verse 1 through 3. Isaiah 60. Hold your place there. Go to Ephesians 2.19. Don't be offended. God says in Peter, he said, I've already granted to you everything, everything, everything. Could you hear the North Carolina come out there for a second? He's given you everything for life and godliness. He's given you everything. He's already granted. In other words, listen to this, everything that you need to be godly, He's already given it to every believer. That's what the Bible says. He says in Ephesians 1, verse 3, I've already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So you have everything you need to walk completely perfect and godly right now. If not, God lied. And He didn't lie. Now, that means that when somebody comes up to you with an uh, offense moment, when he comes up to you with an offendable moment, you don't have to fall for that trap and that trick. You can, because what is offense? If you're offended at somebody, what is that? Basically, it's unforgiveness. You did something against me, and I don't want to forgive you, I'm offended. But see, the issue is, they might have actually done something wrong, so we feel like, well, it's the principle of the matter. Well, if it was about the principle of the matter, Jesus would have never died for you. (laughs) Yeah, let that one hit bottom. If it's the principle of the matter, well, they messed up. They made their bed, they got to live in it. I love what Keith Moore says. Where's that scripture at? Where's that scripture at? Well, it does say in Galatians, whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. That is true. That is true. But praise God, what Jesus sowed in faith, I, by giving a seed of faith towards what Jesus sowed, I can reap what he had because he already paid the price for me. There's a sufficient payment for my mess-ups and if Jesus forgave me and that was his seed, what's the harvest that Jesus needs to reap from me? Forgiveness. If he forgave me and planned the seed of forgiveness in me, what's my, what's my harvest that I need to give back to Jesus? Forgiveness. And when you're offended at somebody, yeah, they may have even done the wrong thing, but you have no right as a believer to get offended. You have no right to get offended. Get to the place where you're unoffendable. You've, you've premeditated forgiveness. Premeditated forgiveness. Somebody's probably going to say something I don't like this week, and when they do, I already forgive them, and it never even has any lingering effects on me at all. Or them. Premeditated forgiveness. That's basically what he said when he said, uh, forgive them 70 times 7 in one day. 490 times in a day. He basically said, go ahead and get yourself ready because they're going to do it, getting yourself in the place of forgiveness so that when they do it, you don't even have any lingering effects of it. They're going to do you wrong. They're persecuting persecute me. They're going to persecute you. He said, go ahead and just get premeditated forgiveness ready and in your pocket. And when they do it, just pull it out and act like nothing happened because it didn't. It only becomes something if you turn it into something and it doesn't hurt the person, it hurts you. Generally. It can hurt the other person, but... But most of the time it hurts us more than it hurts the other person. So godliness is forgiveness. Would we agree upon that? And offense is just unforgiveness because somebody did something wrong. They said the wrong thing. They said it the wrong way. I didn't like how they did that. So for us to say that I'm offended like like it's impossible for offense. Somebody say they're offended and it's impossible for offense to go away. You're saying that with God there are some things that are impossible. That's a completely wrong thinking. That's not scriptural at all. Not for a believer. And so if you hold on to that kind of stuff, it's going to be really hard for you to walk in the glory because God's in the glory, and for you to get in there, you can't pull that into into there and live. You you can't go into that place and stay with offense and unforgiveness on your heart all the time. You you've got to move to a different place. You've got to think different. You've got to repent. He said John the Baptist would take the road, the spiritual road, and he'd straighten it out, smooth it out, and he did that by preaching a message of you got to think different. The kingdom is now. It's not in the the sweet by and by. It's right now. Jesus said the kingdom's within you. Like stop waiting for heaven to solve all your problems. you got faith right now and a promise of God. Hear that again. Stop waiting for heaven to solve all your problems. You've got faith and a promise from God right now. And God needs you to be an example that will prove how good he is. He needs you to receive his blessings and his promises so that you can show and prove like Romans 12, 1 and 2. When you actually renew your mind and change your thinking, start living it out, it, it will prove that God's will is good. It will prove that God's will is perfect. It'll prove that God's will is acceptable. A lot of what's waiting on the world to get saved is there's not enough proof in the Christians. Love you. Praying for you. It's time for some proof to be in the Christians. Look at this in Ephesians 2. and verse 19. Am I in the right place? Oh, no, I'm in Philippians. Philippians doesn't read the same as Ephesians. It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Who are we talking to? The people of God, the house of God, right? We're talking to believers. So you are God's household. It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Let me just tell you this. In in a historical glance, the foundation of the apostles and prophets is the foundation of the apostles in the New Testament and the prophets in the Old Testament. So you've got got the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have that foundation of faith, that foundation of truth, and that's what we've been built on, this, this local church that we have today, not just us, but the church of God, the body of Christ. We're built on that. But also, one of the things I want you to see is this. Y'all remember in the Bible, like apostles and prophets kind of have like a stereotype? And that stereotype is pretty black and white, right? Why? Because the apostles and prophets, they actually are gifted and anointed to keep doctrine straight. They're gifted and anointed. If you want the foundation to be true... You don't build a church on the the ministry and the foundation just of a pastor. You build a church on the anointing of apostles and prophets because they see things in a different manner and they see things clear. They They see that and they're anointed to keep that doctrine true, black and white in that way. Now that they can take it the wrong way and be a little bit too judgmental and legalistic over that, and some have over time. They've got to learn how to be true but not judge the people when it's God's place to judge them. They have to have that heart of gentleness and teaching in that way. So you see this foundation of the apostles and prophets, and that's part of what you're seeing today. You're seeing an anointing to keep things true. Right? That's why there's a little bit of an edge to it. Why? Do you really want to build a house on a roly edge foundation? No. <laughs> I don't, especially when the earthquake comes. When the shaking comes, I don't want a roly foundation. Right. <laughs> when the earthquake comes, when the shaking of God comes, I want it squared and true. That means I've got to give myself to the edge of the word and let it that's sharper than any two edged sword, and let it cut and let it divide what's my flesh and what's the Spirit of God saying. Right? So you see in these pieces, these scriptures coming together and how God works in this church to keep us so that we can walk out what he's about to say. He says, You have the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, the whole body being fitted together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also being built together into a dwelling, a dwelling of God in the Spirit. A dwelling of God. God wants to grow you up into a glorious place. He wants to grow you up into a glorious place Let me show you something else. Let's see here. I had something I wanted to show you. Give me one second. Now, I want you to see this where it says, right here, it says that we are building up into the household of God, look at verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple. It can't be an unholy temple. If we're going to see the glory of God, it has to be holy, which means we can't have 40% of us in our thinking, wrong thinking we're right. So if we're going to move into the glory of God, then we have to give ourselves to let the Word start lopping off some pieces of corrupted flesh thinking, and we we have to make changes on that and not get mad when it happens. Now, if you want to see just how loud your flesh is, start fasting. About the end of the first day, Some of you, the end of the first breakfast. But at least by the end of the first day, your flesh is going to start talking to most of us, and you're going to find out how loud it is. It's almost humorous now. I don't mean to poke fun, but somebody who's never fasted before, day one, you can expect a phone call as a pastor. (laughs) Pastor, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this or not. I don't know. This is tough. Whew. It's tough. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I can do it, Pastor. Did I really hear from God to do this? You know, I was just going because you told us to fast, not because I heard it myself. All kinds of stuff. devil will do anything to get you to stop being holy. And, and then, all of a sudden, you see, day two is like worse. worse. It's worse. All right, but then, if you're doing a full fast after several days, after several days, it calms down. Your flesh goes, okay, we're not eating. I'm going to chill out and stop being so loud. Well, What did you do? I took that corrupted flesh and I put it in its place. I stepped to a holy place. See, you can't be a house of God and a temple of God filled with His glory without stepping into holiness, without dealing with that. And listen, when, when all of a sudden you get to a church... Like most most times people come in here, you remember the Marine Corps and I was in the Marines so this meant something to me, but you remember their old thing, we're looking for a few good men. And they were saying that because when you get to boot camp, it's no joke. And it's like if if you haven't set your mindset to go through that, you probably won't do very well. Now they know how to help you along that process, but it's not like your mom and dad and their friendliness. They got a different way of dealing and motivating you through that process. You know, it's the love of God uh, here, but in 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 Paris Island or San Diego boot camp, uh, it's the fear of man that get that motivates you in those places, and and so they'll help you. But one of the things that you see is they they let people know from the beginning, like we're not easy. <laughs> we're looking for a few good men. We don't even want them all. We want a few, right? And that's kind of what's happening right now. The Lord, the eyes of the Lord are, he wants more, but he knows not everybody's going to have it. And when you step in, like, now I want you to understand, when I stepped on, and I got on that bus, and then I hit Paris Island, and, and they said, stand on those yellow footprints, which are iconic. They, they bus you in in the middle of the night, you're already tired, they hadn't let you sleep. They bus you in, they stand you on the yellow footprints. And it's all like still, like you're a little scared and you're a little concerned like what's going to happen and you know why'd they bring us in here in the middle of the night and why like we sat in the airport all day. Why couldn't we have just left then? Why are we here at night? I don't know about this. So there's a little bit of concern there, but you still are kind of living the dream. I'm one of the few good men. Oh, glory. You know, I, I, I can do this. I, I've been chosen. Right? No, you haven't been chosen yet. (laughs) You still got 13 weeks of boot camp in front of you before you're chosen. And then all of a sudden, you get to that place. All of that fantasy and all of that dream time falls off really quickly in just a few minutes. Like, you stand on those steps. You feel proud of that. You feel more proud about those steps after you get done with all this than you you do in that moment. But in that moment, you don't know what you don't know. and, And you're just sitting there. And a lot of times, that's how people are when they come into a church like this. Look at here, I went in there and his preaching didn't run me off. I'm going to grow and I'm, I'm going to grow in this and and I'm going to put the flesh down and I'm going to be a glorious person in the body of Christ, fitted together. Yeah, for about two months, that, that little honeymoon wears off and then the pastor gets down in your business and says, you need to man up to this and stop acting like a kid. I'm, I'm just using you as an example, you haven't done anything wrong. So, Amen. And all of a sudden, he gets in your face says, you need to deal with this. And you're thinking, I don't want to deal with this. I've been taught all my life this is right. I don't want to deal with this. I want to keep doing it my way. I want to keep thinking my way. That's when it gets real. That's when you find out if you, got it. If you are the few good men. That's when you find out. The, most people in America today, they come into a church like this, they don't even stick around. Because they don't want to hear this, they want their ears tickled because we've been taught to live by our emotions, not by the Spirit of God. But the Romans 8 says this, starting at verse 5 and 6, it says, The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit of God, thinking about the Spirit of God, doing the things of the Spirit of God, is life and peace. I'm trying to get life and peace to you, but it's going to cause you to make some changes. It's going to cause me to make some changes. I haven't arrived either. But it's time for us to stop playing around in church, stop having our ears tickled, and be who God's called us to be. Is there anybody in here that feels like you got what it takes? And then here's the thing, it really doesn't matter if you feel like you've got what it takes because the Bible already tells you that if you've received Jesus, you've got what it takes. I'm telling you today, if you know God and Jesus is your Savior, you got what it takes. Because He's already granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Listen, so now church... Because I'm going to define a time. Let's just define the time first. Look at at verse 2. Verse 2 defines what time period we're talking about. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people. Darkness will cover the earth and not just darkness, deep darkness will cover the people. we're in that day. And so what does he say to do in that day? Go back to verse 1. Listen, church, arise, shine. What it does not say, sit, do nothing. Sit and just let God do all the work for you. No, he says, you arise, shine. In the New Testament it says, you resist the devil and he'll flee. In the New Testament it says you study to show yourself approved. You judge yourself so that you're not judged. It gives us responsibility. We have all of this grace from God not to make it squeaky, easy, clean on our flesh but it gives us all the grace of God so that we can through our hunger and humility start applying these things and arise to it. He says I'll give you grace to arise to the challenge. And in this day... When darkness and deep darkness is covering the people, God's eyes are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth that He might find someone who understands their job, who understands what they're called to, who understands what the price is, a few good men who understands what God is trying to do in this day and age. A, a time of His glory. A glorious church which means all the goodness of God but also holy. He's looking for people that will do that kind of work. Recognize the task. They've counted the cost what it takes to build this, this glorious body. This glorious building that God will strengthen and put together and they say I will do that. No matter what it costs my flesh he's looking for people the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth to find someone whose heart is lined up with his not lined up with their own agenda and their own truth who's lined up with the truth so that he can show himself strong on their behalf on their behalf He says, look, I want to take hold of you and I want want you to come up here and you may have been down and I want to lift you up. I want to take you to new heights. I want to do it. I want to take you and raise you up. I want to take you and raise you up. I want to take you and raise you up. He's, He's basically saying, I want to take every believer and raise you up to a new place.
1: Do you see
0: it? The question is, will you have it? If you're in this church, you're going to have a hard time not seeing it. The question is, will you have it? Because it's going to challenge you. It's going to challenge you. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy on your flesh. It's not going to be easy on your flesh. It's going to be hard on your flesh. But God will give you strength to overcome that. And through your faith in God, He'll give you the strength to overcome the world in your flesh. He says, arise, shine. See, we're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. He's already getting granted to His whole body From 2,000 years ago, everything they need pertained to life and godliness, but the church has never arisen to that glory. And it starts not just... we We can set that in the body, but it starts with you, the individual... I can preach this day in, day out. I can preach it day in, day out, day in, day out. But if you don't say, Lord, let it change me today. I accept the call. I accept the challenge. And I know that I don't have what it takes on my own to to be successful in that. But you will strengthen me in it. You will give me your grace to go through this challenge and become the glory of God. Arise, shine, for your light has come. I'm telling you, church, your light has already come. It's here now. Jesus has given you the grace and the glory. It's in your hands. What will you do with it? Will you give yourself to His holiness? He says, and the glory of the Lord, all His goodness, has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and His glory will appear upon you. Listen, nations, all the people groups will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is the church growth pattern right here. Church growth pattern is not calling everybody back, fulfilling all of their flesh feelings, and operating a business. The church growth is this. Arise, shine, and nations will come to you. Be who I've called you to be. And the multitude will come. There's your church growth conference. I just saved you $1,500. Well, now think about this. What if just one person will do it? Will you be that person? What if just one person will do it? Will you be that person? The, Lord's,
1: the Lord right now
0: is calling you to a new level of glory with him.
1: This is 2023,
0: the year of glory. It's time for the glorious church. Will you be that person It says, Lord, I'll walk in this way. I will arise now. He's calling you right now to arise. All of that happens through fellowship with Him. The intimate fellowship of of God. I want you right now, they can play music, whatever they're going to do. Right now, whether they play music or not, whether you feel good about it or not, will you make a choice? Well, the atmosphere's not set, so I didn't feel like going forward. Forget about the atmosphere. Matter of fact, don't play music. Amen. She stops in her tracks. Amen. Don't play music. It's you and God. Make a choice. And you might know Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here watching. You don't know him. He will empower you to do all of this that I'm talking about. Every bit of it. Well, people are looking at me. Who cares? Will you arise and shine? Well, people think I did something bad. Who cares? Will you arise and shine? If some can hold you, if some can hold you back in here, where all these people had faith raised in them from good anointed preaching, then the devil's for sure going to hold you back out there. Will you say, Lord, I'm rising today and I'm shining. I'm going to another level. I'm walking with you in that holiness. I will not be held back. I see what you're calling me to. I'm rising and shining in you today, Lord. You can close your eyes. Make it personal. You get serious with God, He'll get serious with you. Today, Lord, I make it personal. I'm going after you. God's calling you to something higher. This message today, will y'all come here? You guys, right here. I don't know your name. Will y'all come here? Can I pray for you? That'd be okay. This message today is for you. And y'all look familiar to me. and uh, But don't tell me your name right now. But... You look familiar to me like I've seen you before, but I'm not sure that I have. But here's, here's the point. This message today, God's doing something higher in you and bigger in you, and he's calling you He's calling you up. And you weren't here by accident today, I know, because this message is for you. You heard things that it resonated with you, things that have been going on in your heart that brought those things to pass, and he's going to bring more. It's just the beginning of him writing new stuff in you. You may be a pastor, you may be, you may be ministers. I, I don't know that in the flesh. I'm just saying, he, he's just now starting. What you thought was good is just your floor. Everything you've ever known is good. It's just the floor. He's desiring to bring an anointing through you in a level like you've never experienced before. And it will shine to the world. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, thank you for your goodness. And your mercy. Let your anointing come on them and flow through them in every way. Let them be an example and let that anointing of God help them and strengthen them and bring together every unity, every unity in their marriage, in their home, in every bit. Let it let every unity of God preach to the world, your goodness, and prove those things. Lord, let there be an arising on such a new level, Lord, that people just start to ask them, what did you do? What did you do? And all your answer is, we allowed our heart to be changed, we allowed our eyes to see, and God showed us higher and more, and we stepped into it by being obedient. We got willing and obedient, and the glory of God poured out in such a new way. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory to God. Nice to meet you. I'll talk to you some more. (laughs) Amen. Nice to meet you. Yes, ma'am. Love y'all. Amen. Thank you, Father. Will you arise and shine? Will you arise today? I know. I know that I know that I know God's calling you. And you may may need to stand right there. You may need to come forward. There is something about coming forward. Lord, I'm going forward. Today is my day. I won't lose the moment because there's not music playing. I won't be that moved by my flesh. Lord, I'm going to allow the power of God to do what it needs to do in my life. I'll be willing and obedient. Lord, let me be a part of your glorious church. Let me be a part of your plan. Show yourself strong on my behalf. Lord, show yourself strong on my behalf. Lord, I want to be used by you. It all starts in an intimate fellowship with God. It all starts in that place. Lord, I got to have my fellowship with you right. In you, we live and move and have our being. In you, Lord. So, Father, right now, in you. Soho pre Lord, change hearts now. Lord, whatever would hold people back, let it be broken and destroyed right now. Whatever mindset and actions would take people out of the fight, let it be broken and destroyed right now in Jesus' name. Let anything that would hold people back, let it be broken and destroyed right now. Father, we receive forgiveness for all of the past and we move into the future with faith. Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I want every person in here to pray this prayer with me right now. I want want you to make your relationship with God as fresh and as new as it can be in this moment, even if you've known Him for most of your life. Just say this. Say, Jesus, Jesus. with your mouth out loud. Jesus, Jesus. you you are the Lord of my life. Everything you tell me to do, I'll do. And I believe that you took my mess to the cross and the grave. And when God raised Jesus up, I believe He came back to life showing that there was no connection to my mess and sin forever. Because I was in Him. Raised up to the right hand of God in Christ. And I believe that he rose from the grave. Today, Jesus, you're my Savior and my Lord. And I believe that I have received all of the goodness of God and the strength to walk it out. Jesus, I ask you, baptize me in the Holy Ghost and fire in the name of Jesus to live the way you want me to live in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father.